Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are going to read it for your weekend. Spending time with your family, your friends. If you're watching tennis, watching the Hall of Fame Open or the Swedish Open that's currently happening. There's a little bit of news that we can get into. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Bill Burr releasing his new Netflix special, and Twitter's talking about it. Actually, when I saw it on Twitter, it was kind of positive. It was kind of going in Bill Burr's direction. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, so Bill Burr releasing a new special. I'm going to recap the WNBA joke. That's the only joke I really watched. But we can also discuss Dana White giving, giving and gifting $250,000 to a Nelk boy despite the lack of UFC fighter pay. Just my overall thoughts on the matter. We can also discuss Jordan Peterson being suspended on Twitter for her for his Elliot Page remarks and for dead naming Elliot Page. And obviously, this news was kind of old, but Jordan Peterson has been dragging it through his YouTube account, so why not talk about it? We can also discuss, in terms of news within tennis world, we can discuss Andy Murray and Dominic Team both winning uh, their first round matches at their respective tournaments despite their injuries. And we'll start off for today will be Helena. Djokovic versus Ben Rothenberg. So this news happened on Sunday. Obviously for my podcast, I didn't really want to discuss it because I felt like it was a little bit more important to discuss the on-court news and aspects of both the ATP and WTA for the women's final and the gentlemen's final. But on Sunday, Helena Djokovic and Ben Rothenberg of the New York Times were in a bit of a spat with one another, if you will. And this was over Ben Rothenberg and his belief of Novak Djokovic uh, not being vaccinated and, you know, being mad and complaining despite still not being vaccinated to compete at the U.S. Open. And Ben Rothenberg sort of gave his overall remarks on that. And I'm just putting, uh, just enlarging this and getting ready for you guys for this uh, news story. Uh, so basically, uh, Ben Rothenberg gives his opinion on... Novak Djokovic still being unvaccinated despite it being so long since the Australian Open fiasco. So he is basically sort of putting his two cents out there. So he says, he quote tweets his own tweet saying, unless there's a swift change in U.S. immigration law, Wimbledon will be Djokovic's last Grand Slam event of the year. U.S. requires vaccination for foreigners to enter, and Djokovic has firmly said he has ruled out getting vaccinated and trenching himself as an anti-vax poster boy. Helena uh, would then uh, sort of comment underneath her his page, uh, saying the following: "Excuse me, just make sure making sure that it is noted that you tagged him as anti-vax poster boy for whatever reason you have. He simply responded, what his body choice is.'" I, and then Ben Rothenberg would then sort of reply to that tweet saying, I understand that it's his choice, but also I'm saying that his decision to be so firmly against the vaccines that it limits his ability to play tournaments has made him unwittingly or not into a huge icon of the anti-vax movement. I saw this very clearly during Australia. Then Helena would then comment underneath that post saying, uh, you are creating a very judgmental narrative that fits your agenda. He is simply choosing what's best for his body. If he is not playing because of of making that choice, he is fine with it. Uh, then he would comment back, I can accept judgmental. I believe every citizen, especially public figures, ha- had a duty to act responsibly with public health actions and messaging during the pandemic. And as someone who has covered Novak as the influ- influential champion he is, he repeatedly disappointed me deeply. 
this this would continue on by Helena ending it by saying, "Thank you for sharing your beliefs. I hope you don't get judged for them or become a poster boy for hatred or <laughs> bullying. You never know. You are also an influential figure. Please don't continuously disappoint unless that's your role." All right, so a lot of chirping uh, by both ends on a day where Novak Djokovic won the Wimbledon final. Uh, overall, here are my thoughts. Here are my thoughts on the matter. I think both these individuals need to take a chill pill. I like Ben Rothenberg. I think he's quite interesting, a quite uh, enigmatic figure with tennis. He definitely gets Twitter to talk. He definitely gets Reddit to talk. You know, he has some opinions that are not really liked by Reddit and by Twitter. You know, his opinion on best out of three sets is obviously very, very controversial. I, for one, understand where he's coming from. And at one point, I may have agreed with him on best out of three. But as I've grown older, I've had more of an affinity for best out of five sets. And almost to the point where I now, where I now believe that women should also play best out of five sets as well. Right, if women are getting equal pay to the men, I also do think that women should be playing best out of five sets. So I kind of disagree with Ben Rothenberg on that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you with the vaccine situation. I make countless videos documenting my opinion on Novak Djokovic's vaccine situation. I've stuck my head out him, for him for quite some time now. And I, I still will because at the end of the day, you should not be relegated from entering a country just because a pharmaceutical product was not entered into your system. You know, you should not be banned from entering a country just because some multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical product has ent- has entered your has not entered your bloodstream. You know, and I feel like enough time has passed where and hopefully like this YouTube doesn't get taken down, but we've sort of seen that the vaccine I'm not saying it's not effective. I'm not going to say that, but I I do think that when you see people take their third vaccine shot, their fourth vaccine shot, it's like okay, I think we can now sort of admit that the vaccine was not promised the way that it was promised to be. And I think that's very, very important to at least clear up. You know, I'm not saying that it's not effective. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that it wasn't promised the way that it was intended to be promised. And when I see, you know, Ben Rothenberg say that Novak Djokovic is a poster boy for the anti-vax movement, it's like... I don't really get that, right? Like, just because you deny a vaccine that was rushed to the market does not mean that you're anti-vax. You know, I mean, I I know a lot of individuals that are not taking the COVID vaccine for their own reason, but they still believe in taking the measles shot, taking the polio shot, you know? I mean, these, whether you like them or not, these vaccines have had years of research into them. They've had years of trials. You know, they have years of of you know studies and, and whatnot for this this was rushed to the market you know and you can't really blame individuals for not trusting the government you know and i think for novak djokovic in this situation i kind of understand where he's coming from now do i do i wholeheartedly wholeheartedly agree with him uh no but at the same time i understand where he's coming from and if he's skeptical of what's in the vaccine and and if he's skeptical of of how it will affect his day to day life or his tennis then i can't really fault him for that so when I see this, and first off, I think both these individuals are on the wrong. Like I think Ben Rothenberg spending his Sunday, the, the same day that Novak Djokovic won Wimbledon, focusing on this, I think that's not, that's not where your priorities should be. Obviously, I get why he would say that, but I don't think that's where his priorities should be. But also with Helena, it's like, 
Helena, you're you're the wife of somebody who just won a Grand Slam. Why are you on Twitter? Spend time with your loved ones. Spend time with your Novak. Spend time with your children. You know, this is like I, there's some moments where you just should not be on Twitter. Like there's some days that you should not be on Twitter. Like if it's your wedding day, like do not be on any social media sites unless like you know you gave like your photographer or somebody that's in the know you know the ability to post pictures on your stories or whatnot or on your Instagram feed. But there's some moments where you should just not be on Twitter. There's just some days where you just should not be on social media. I, the day where your husband ties Pete Sampras for Wimbledon titles is one of those days where you just should not be on Twitter. Like it really, sh- you should not be on Twitter. It's, it's just not, you know, again, I think I understand where both of these individuals are coming from, but at the same time, it's hard for me to look at this and be like, you know what? I wholeheartedly agree with one or the other. It's just one of those things where I just can't. I can't really look at it and say to myself, yeah, I agree with where they're coming from. It's just hard. Uh, again, you know, to say that he's the poster boy for the anti-vax movement, it's like there are a far more amount, there are far more individuals out there that have actively and actually marketed themselves as being anti-vax and wanted other people to be anti-vax. Those are the anti-vax movement. For Djokovic, he said, hey, it's my body, my choice. I feel like if it doesn't work for me, then... And if it inhibits my play, then I just don't want to take it. And I know my own body. I know how to be healthy. I just don't want to do it. That was his overall rationale. He didn't lambast or lampoon anybody for taking the vaccine. All he said was, hey, this is my choice. You know, respect it. I know it's not the most popular decision. But hey, this is my body. I want to do what's right for me. And this is what I'm going to do from here on out. And I think that's something that he's been clear and concise about. You know, so I don't really get this hatred. And I think, you know, for Ben Rothenberg, you know, he works at the New York Times. Um, obviously, there are conservatives that work for at, for the New York Times, but it is quite left-leaning. And I'm sure Ben Rothenberg is quite left-leaning. You know, for a person that, you know, we've seen and for a political party that has been quite staunch about their opinion on Roe v. Wade, for its supporters to be quite, you know, staunch about their opinion on Roe v. Wade, I think you would understand what my body, my, my choice means, not only in terms of in terms of the abortion argument, but even so for the vaccine argument, I feel like for the amount of liberals that, you know, keep on going about Roe v. Wade and how they're pro-choice, and I get it, I understand where they're coming from, I feel like there should be, they should extend an olive branch to that of, say, individuals that are refusing to take the vaccine. Because at the end of the day, when a government is forcing you to do something with your own body, that is government overreach. And you would expect those same individuals that have been quite staunch in their opinion of being pro uh, pro Roe v. Wade to be also in favor of allowing individuals to make their own decisions when it comes to having a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical product enter their bloodstream. You know, I, I think they should be more nuanced in their approach instead of just being on Team Pfizer or Team Moderna while at the same time being hypocritical with their opinion of my body, my choice. You know, so I think that's where I kind of disagree with Ben Rothenberg on that. Uh, overall, I have no stake. I have no side on this. Um, I like Ben Rothenberg. I, I've never heard Helena talk, but I'm sure she's a nice person. Um, I think that's it with the discussion there. I like Ben Rothenberg, by the way. I think Ben Rothenberg, he, he spices things up on Twitter. You know, he really does spice things up on Twitter. You know, when he, when you were... 
when I was watching, when I was seeing his tweets while watching the Wimbledon final in real time, I'm like, the amount of like replies that he's getting is crazy. For tennis, the amount of replies that he gets just for one post about like the line judges on Nick Hiros' calls, which by the way, I wholeheartedly agree with Ben Rothenberg on that. Uh, the line judges were, were horrible. They were abysmal and Wimbledon should adopt Hawkeye. Like the Australian Open has adopted Hawkeye. The French Open, you don't really need Hawkeye. You can just see it on the court whether or not it hit the line or whatnot but for Wimbledon you need Hawkeye I don't want to see line judges at Wimbledon anymore like I'm done uh anyways I think that's sort of it with my discussion on the Helena Djokovic and Ben Rothenberg drama that ensued on Sunday Uh, I wanted to not talk about it right after because I I felt like it was more of a priority to discuss the gentleman's final and the women's final but still, I thought it was very interesting to see that. Uh, a lot of drama in tennis, tennis Twitter, which I, I kind of like. You know, what's what's the point of living if it's not, not a little bit of drama here and there? You know, we need a little bit of drama. We need something to satiate our sort of endorphins. We need something to allow individuals to have 15 minutes where they can just forget about their problems and, and be entrenched into something that's so trivial and so nonsensical. That's what I want. I like drama. I do. <laughs> that drama is good. You know, I'm not going to lie. People who say they hate drama are often the ones that often cause drama. You know, I like to watch it all unfold. I really do like drama. Uh, all right, let's get into uh, our next bit of discussion here. Uh, it's still tennis related, but Andy Murray and Dominic Team both win their first round matches that occurred yesterday. I'm following this one on Wednesday. This happened on Tuesday. So Andy Murray beats Sam Query 6 2 6 Love at the Hall of Fame Open. In Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island, where the Tennis Hall of Fame is. Um, very nice place. I'm not going to lie. It's like a grass court. Um, I'm sure there are multiple, but the last time I've been there, there was like one. Uh, maybe it's expanded. I don't know. Maybe there were more tennis co- courts back in the day. Uh, I went back at Newport, Rhode Island in like maybe 2011 or 2012. 2011. And um, pretty interesting. I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty interesting place. Uh, I thought it would, it would be a little bit more special. I'm not going to lie. I thought it would be more prestigious, but I'm sure that's more at Wimbledon than it is at Newport, Rhode Island. But anyways, Annie Murray beat Sam Query 6-2-6-love. And Dominic Team beat Rusevori 3-6-6-1-7-6-7-5 at the Swedish Open. And I sort of lumped these two individuals together because they both have had injuries. Obviously, for Dominic Team, his injury has been a little bit more sort of grand is it has plagued him and sidelined him for quite some time now i mean dominic team has had a wrist injury for about a year or so and he was out for the french open out for wimbledon and it's been quite a deterioration in play for dominic team because of that uh he obviously he infamously won his 2021 or 2020 us open against sasha zverev which by the way that was one of the worst matches i ever watched I'm not going to lie. It was competitive, but it was one of the worst matches I ever watched uh, because of the fact that Sasha Zverev really gave a choke job. He really did give a choke job in that match, and his serves at the end were just so abysmal. I mean, it, it felt like I was watching a high school tennis tennis match. It really, it, if At moments, it did feel like that. Like His second serves were indistinguishable from my second serves at that match. It was really really bad at that fifth set 
Um, but anyways, Dominic team um, had a wrist injury, has been sidelined for quite some time, and there have been mumblings as to whether or not he'll ever reach that plateau again. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really seem like that's going to be the case. I feel like a lot of moving parts happened that U.S. Open that allowed him to win. Obviously, you had Novak Djokovic, you know, a lot, you know, hitting a ball through a ball through a ball girl's throat or through a line judge's throat. Obviously, that was not ideal. Uh, you had Sasha Zverev obviously giving that infamous choke job. Uh, Nadal was out as well. A lot of things happened that allowed Dominic Team to progress to the final and win the final. Um, so I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I want to be wrong because I really do like Dominic Team. In terms of the younger generation, I feel of the younger generation of players, Medvedev, Sitsipas, Zverev, I felt like Dominic Team was the more likable out of that group in terms of allowing individuals to really watch his play. You know, when you watch Stefano Sitsipas or Daniel Medvedev, I mean, Daniel Medvedev is a great player. I really love Daniel Medvedev. But I feel like the audience, especially the U.S. Open, do not like him, especially at the Australian Open as well. The U.S. Open and Australian Open, I do not feel like they like them. They like him because his play, in my opinion, is very similar to that of, say, Joker, where he's not going to wow you with elegance, right? He's not going to wow you with those elegant, you know, one-hand, backhand, Roger Federer shots. He's not going to wow you with the aggressive aggressiveness of, say, Rafa Nadal. He's just going to play his match, and he's going to win, but... It, it might be a little bit boring for the casual viewer. Um, so Dominic Team, in my opinion, was the more likable out of that group, was the most likable out of that group. And to see him sort of falter and, and not do well because of things that are outside of, outside of his control, uh, I think that is not ideal and, and that is not... And that's not what I want on Dominic Team. You know, I I, I I really like Dominic Team. Not gonna lie, I think he's a he's a very interesting figure because, you know, he he has shown himself to be quite different on court. You know, I think that really gives it gives it to him. You know, I think so. So Dominic Team, that's the Dominic Team match he won against Rusevori. Quite competitive, especially in that third set, but he was able to pull it out in, in style. So good for Dominic Team on that. For Andy Murray, I mean, he just put a beat down on Sam Querrey. Um, and obviously with Andy Murray, he, ha- he has had those hip injuries. It first started around 2017. Once he saw the cracks in his mat- in his game in 2017, he kind of knew that there was an injury to him. And when he saw him have that injury, I'm like, okay, this might be... This, I don't think this is going to be it for Andy Murray, but this might be a change of pace for Andy Murray. We may not see the same player that we did before injury, and that definitely was the case for Andy Murray. By the way, Andy Murray in 2016, that was one of the best years of Andy Murray's career. Andy Murray in 2016 was one of the best years I have seen of Andy Murray in his career. I mean, he reached the final of the French Open, reached the, reached the final and won Wimbledon in that same year. I mean, that was a really, really good year for Andy Murray. Um, you know, obviously it stinks that he wasn't able to be able to get past that. You know, it stinks that he wasn't able to get over that hump in the French Open and it stinks that even though he reached the Austrian Open four or five times, that he wasn't able to close it out against Djokovic. Um, but anyways, that's what happened in the past two days with Dominic Team and, and Andy Murray. I didn't watch these matches. Um, um, full disclosure, I did not watch these matches uh, because obviously 
I'm taking a little bit of a, a leave from tennis, you know, just for a few days, and then I'll get back into the swing of things. Obviously, I'm still going to talk about it, you know, off the court drama I love uh, in terms of the overall redemption stories, the redemption arcs of both Dominic team and that of, say, Andy Murray, I'm for. Uh, but again, it's just one of those things where I just wanted some time off. You know, I just wanted some time off, just decompose, you know, compose myself, you know, get back to the swing of things in a, in a week or so. But for right now, you know, we just went through Wimbledon, pretty good tournament. It wasn't the best tournament. I still think the French Open was the best tournament of this year because of the fact that they didn't ban Russian and Belgian players and because of the fact that we were able to see Nadal and Djokovic still play and not withdraw due to injury. Uh, so obviously the French Open is still my favorite. Uh, but if I had to rank the tournaments overall, I would say it's French Open, Wimbledon, Australian Open, and then I don't know where the U.S. Open will be, but if I had to pick, it would be in the middle of Wimbledon and Australian Open. That's where I sort of would put it at. Maybe even that would say between French Open and Wimbledon. Uh, but again, I stopped to watch the U.S. Open and think about that. But anyways, the Australian Open, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I know I'm all over the... I'm all over these topics, you know, I, I know um, it's all scattered, but it's still all tennis related. Uh, the Australian Open this past year, my God, that was one of the worst. Tur- I mean, I did not enjoy that at all. You know, maybe it's because I live on the East Coast of, of the United States, but to wake up at 1 a.m. to watch a match, a quarterfinal match, what are we doing here? Like, I, I don't like the Australian Open. I'm sorry. Like, it's my least favorite out of the four majors. Maybe you guys can agree as well. I don't know. If you're outside of America, maybe not. Because this is not much of a time differential between you and Australia. But for me, it's it's an issue. I don't like it at all. Like, I do not like the Australian Open. You know, you're traveling 10 hours to go to a place that basically looks more or less the same as America. I mean, you know, it, it's a... It's not fun. I'm not gonna lie. It's not. It's the Australian Open is not the best major to watch as an American, and I feel like a lot of Americans, they may not admit it, but they silently agree with me. Like, if I'm fine if they just moved that major to like Vancouver and played indoors, like that would be ideal, right? Because it's still like a country that generally still speaks English. I mean, obviously Vancouver does speak French, but and I know that's not the big issue there, but you know, I mean, if that's what is if that's the issue then i mean that's obviously that that's set, set upon like i would be fine if there was a major anywhere besides australia like i'm at that point in my life where it's like like i just want it to be anywhere but australia because that may that that, that major is so difficult to watch as an american it really is like i would much rather watch Wimbledon or the french open or, or honestly i would much rather watch like the shanghai rolex masters than that of say the Australian Open. Like there are times where like I will watch Asian tournaments, even if there's a time differential, then that would say the Australian Open because it's just such a pain to watch. You know, it really is. Like that major is such a pain to watch. Uh, but anyways, I had to get that out of the way. I'm sorry, my apologies. Uh, that's it for the tennis talks today. Uh, Andy Murray, Dominic Team, Helena, Ben Rothenberg. That's it. Let's get into news outside of the tennis world, shall we? So Jordan Peterson has been suspended on Twitter for detonating Elliot Page. I know this is old news. You know, it's over a week old, but he's milking it on his YouTube channel. And I'm like, okay, then why not? Why not talk about it? If he's milking it on his YouTube channel, if he's talking about how he's a prisoner, 
then why not talk about it? So Peterson got suspended on Twitter for the following tweet. Um, Remember when pride was a sin and Ellen Page just had her brush removed by a criminal physician? Um, So basically, that's what he tweeted out. And that's the tweet that allowed and got him suspended on Twitter. He then released another video. He released a video on YouTube documenting this, documenting how he's been suspended and how he would be unsuspended if he deleted the original tweet and how he would much rather die than do that. Uh, he would also say that uh, the following remarks, he would conclude by, on his YouTube video by saying this, up yours woke moralist, we'll see who cancels who. And that's how he ended his YouTube video documenting his overall suspension on Twitter. Uh, I saw a video on Kyle Kalinske's YouTube channel, which by the way, I really like Kyle Kalinske. Go check him out on YouTube. Uh, but Kyle Kalinsky had an interview with Jordan Peterson on his podcast, Chris Collin Friends. And they were talking about Jordan Peterson being banned on Twitter, suspended on Twitter for his remarks on Elliot Page. And Jordan Peterson, I'm not going to lie, comes off as quite a crybaby. I'm not going to lie. You know, he was going after Kyle Kalinsky the entire time of the interview, saying that, he, you know, he's you know he's being way more, he's being way too progressive you know, and Kyle Kalinske was being sort of like, you know, rational during the entire exchange. He was saying that, you know, it's not my business to tell other people what to do with their bodies. You know, if somebody wants to come out as trans, that's their thing. You know, I think it's kind of weird to be fixating over this, which all true remarks. I'm not going to lie. I think it's quite weird that Republicans are just so obsessed with trans people. I think it's kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Um, because if it doesn't affect you, then why are you really thinking about it? You know, like, why, why, if, this not, if this does not affect your standard of living or your style of living or anything of that nature, then why is it so, why are you so focused on discussing it, right? So I listened to the Kyle Kalinske interview, and I really wanted to be, I didn't want to be on Jordan Peterson's side, but I wanted to see what he was getting at. And when I heard him speak about it, it's hard for me to really understand where he's coming from. And I, it's in relation to Canada passing a, a bill or a law saying that, and again, I may be wrong on this, but apparently through Jordan Peterson and what he was saying, that apparently like you have to call people by their preferred pronouns and whatnot, and, and how he said it's normalizing the trans identity and whatnot. And I was just looking at that and like, I don't know, man. Is this the most pressing issue of our time? Is is trans legislation the most pressing issue of our time? I mean, think about it. We have, you know, endless war. We have drone strikes. We have a president that can't cognitively function, who's not even there. You know, we have a, we have a, a party, a Democratic Party, that is acting as if everything is normal, despite, you know, inflation, despite you know, a president whose son, you know, is ordering hookers and, and, you know, getting into nefarious activities, you know, such as crack. I mean, we've, we're going through some major problems. I know that's not a major problem, Hunter Biden. That's not a major problem. Uh, we have to go through Zach Wilson, you know, being accused of sleeping with his best friend's mom and whatnot. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, you know, we have a lot of problems in this country. You know, we really have a lot of problems in this country. Is this the most pressing issue of our time? Like, is this is this the most pressing issue of our time? 
And I think that's the thing that that I want to ask Republicans all the time. Like, like this is what I want to ask Republic, Republicans is that if this is the most pressing issue that you are currently trying to fight over and fight against, then you may want to reevaluate your mission. You know, you may want to reevaluate your own party, right? This is not the most pressing issue. There are far more important things that we got to focus on, you know, such as, you know, endless war, the drone strikes that are currently happening in, in countries that are being bombed to this day that we have no idea that are being bombed, you know, whether it's that of, say, that of, say, the economic conditions and the poor standards of living that we all have to live through, and the ongoing homelessness epidemic and crisis that's currently happening, you know, all of that is way more pressing and way more important than that of, say, you know, what Elliot Page calls herself, you know. I just think it's kind of weird, or calls himself, sorry, calls himself. Uh, I just think it's kind of weird, you know. I think it's kind of weird to see that, you know. You know, for me, like, when I see this, it's, it, it reminds me of the Dave Chappelle thing, right, right, where Dave Chappelle just incessantly talks about trans people, and that's fine. Like, you can make jokes about trans people, you can make jokes about Indians, you can make jokes about uh, Asians, you can make jokes about white people, black people, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's all comedy. Comedy comes from, the, from all good jokes come from a, from, come from a very sort of bad place or from a, from a half-baked idea, from a half-thought idea. You know, obviously jokes are fine. You know, jokes about any racial group, religious group, that's fine. At the end of the day, it's comedy. It's a form of entertainment. You know, who, who really cares, you know, what jokes you're making, you're making at. But I feel like, with Chappelle, with Jordan Peterson, you know, it's just so incessantly about one group of people it's where it's like, it's just too much, right? Like at some point it's like, okay, you're more obsessed about trans people than like the actual average individual is about trans people. Like the average individual is like, you know what, if they're trans, what, so be it, you know, it's not my place to decide, you know, if they want to be trans, that's their body, whatever. As long as I get to do what I do, as long as they don't impede on my freedom, and as long as they don't like project their thoughts onto me, then I'm fine. I'm Gucci. You know, that's the average person. You know, the average person isn't spending their entire time like, what is this person calling themselves? What is their pronouns? What are their pronouns? Why are they? Why are their pronouns she they instead of he him? You know, the average person is not like that. Like they may ask that question, but it's not. You know documenting it on youtube each and every day and making youtube shorts and youtube videos just on that one specific subject you know the average person is not built like that you know we're not we're not built to have that and we're not built to do that you know so like when, when i see this it's like is it weird when when you see ellen page you know go to elliot page and and, and whatnot sure but like to call that physician a criminal physician I don't know, man. That's a little too much. And when I saw Kyle Kalinske, like, you know, have that conversation with Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson still being stubborn about it, it's like, it's like, I like Jordan Peterson, by the way. I think Jordan Peterson gives good life advice. You know, 12 Steps of Life, whether or not whether or not you want to admit it, was a pretty good book. It got people to be more self, to be more self-independent, to be more reliant on themselves. You know, I thought that was a pretty good book. But when he gets into his political bag, when he gets into his political idea, that's where he kind of loses me. You know, when he's got, when he's like, when he's obviously trying to project his idea of what masculinity is onto people, it's a little weird. Like, I'm not going to lie, you know, because his, his fan base is not that, you know, and I, I like Jordan Peterson for 
his overall life advice. But when he gets into this, like the trans issues, that's when he kind of loses me. Uh, but anyways, those are my thoughts on the Jordan Peterson, Peterson situation. Honestly, like the average person does not really care about Elliot Page's gender. Right, like I'll be honest with you, like the average person, like I know people are like, oh, we support trans people. It's like, eh, like for me, I'm like, eh, like I mean, I support, I, I guess, but it's not like, it's not like I'm gonna like, like the average person also believes in that as well. Like I'm not, like, I don't speak for me. I speak for everybody involved. The average person is also like, you know what, whatever, do what you want to do with your body, whatever, you know, it should not be my business to dictate that. And honestly, that's one my overall approaches in my philosophy on life is it should not be my idea as to what you should be doing with your own thing um so i don't want to make it gay you know hopefully that's not what i'm trying to make get at but you know i'm what i'm trying to say is that it's kind of weird that a psychology professor who's in his 60s is still fixated on this and is still acting like a rebel you know like this is not rebel behavior to say that you know that Ellen Page had her breast removed and that, you know, it was done by a criminal physician. I mean, that may be edgy in certain situations, but I mean, you know what's edgy? You know, documenting how JFK got shot by the CIA. You know what's edgy? You know, trying to link Saudi and Israel, Saudi Arabia and Israel to 9-11 on Twitter and giving verified documented proof about what happened. That's edgy. This ain't edgy. This is just falling in line with the status quo of, of the Republican Party and honestly, with that of our neoliberal system as well. That's what it comes down to. Uh, so Jordan Peterson suspended on Twitter for LED page memes. I don't think he should have been suspended on Twitter. I want to be very clear here. I don't think he should have been suspended on Twitter. I think, you know, these social media companies, they should be in accordance with the First Amendment. I think it's kind of sad to see him suspended for Twitter. Uh, but again, I don't really side with him on the trans thing. So I don't think he should be suspended on Twitter. You know, obviously it's, you know, I think we should all be given the right to say what we want. You know, we should all be given the right to say what's freely on our mind because that encourages conversation, you know, and I feel like it sort of shows how people are very dumb. You know, I kind of like having an open and honest platform because it really shows you how dumb and, and idiotic individuals are. You know, I feel like censoring individuals sort of hides that. You know, I don't want to see, I don't want to see things censored because I want to see people's not only brilliance, but I also want to see more importantly, people's idiocy, you know, and I don't think Jordan Peterson should be suspended for that. But at the same breath, I can also admit that it's kind of weird that Jordan Peterson is focused on Elliot Page. I think it's kind of weird. So those are my thoughts on the matter with Jordan Peterson being suspended on Twitter uh, for the Elliot Page remarks. All right, let's get into uh, our second to last bit of discussion here. So Dana White gives $250,000 to a Nelk boy. Um, and this happened yesterday on Tuesday. Uh, maybe, I think, t- Monday night, Tuesday morning, I don't know. Uh, so Kyle from the Nelk Boys, if you guys don't know the Nelk Boys, they have this podcast called the Full Send Podcast. And I talked about them in terms of you know, YouTube censoring the Donald Trump interview, I obviously stood up for them because I think censoring interviews and censoring the ability to say what's on your mind is kind of sad and, and not something that is, is, I think it is antithetical to actually having honest and raw conversations. And obviously, 
you know, I stuck up for them. I think it's very important to, you know, say what's free on our mind. And, you know, even if it may be totally flagrant or, or, you know, wild, at least it's important to have an open and honest conversation about it. And, you know, to censor, I don't think that's the right way to go about things. So I stood up, stood, stuck up for them and I stood up for them. Uh, after, after having watched their podcast, uh, I regret censor, uh, st- standing up for them. After watching their podcast, I regret standing up for them because it is a bore fest. That, that podcast is a disservice to podcasts. Like, I thought, like, obviously, people go after Joe Rogan. People go after, you know, several podcasts that are within the comedy scene in both New York City and L.A. And I get their criticisms and whatnot. I get their criticism. But after watching a Full Send podcast, I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, I'm not going to lie. This is, this is pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. I might, I might not say the worst thing ever. Obviously, there is caller call daddy and whatnot. But this is really bad. Like, this is pretty bad. Like, the conversations are rather banal. Their conversations uh, lack any sort of, you know, care or whatnot about the subjects that they're talking about. It feels like it was their first time ever having a conversation with one another. You know, it's very guest-heavy and guest-oriented, which is, I get it. You know, obviously, you know, it helps out the YouTube algorithm. You know, their thumbnails are really good. You know, they really put a lot of time and effort into their thumbnails and whatnot and, and to make it spread viral. But in terms of the conversations, in terms of what they're discussing about, in terms of their content, it's it's very lacking. But anyways, uh, Dana White gives Kyle Fougerod, um So he gives Kyle Fougerod, a, a member of the Nelk Boys, 250K, saying, Uncle Dana White just gave me $250,000 for my birthday. And uh, it was basically a video of Dana White giving this sort of vacuum sealed amount of money to this Nug boy. The Nug boy gave some remarks about it. But anyways, I don't remember what he said because that's how much, how banal he is as a human being. But people were mad on Twitter. People were very mad on Twitter about this. You know, they were saying how Dana White, you know, gave, gifted Nug boy $250,000, yet he doesn't give his fighters the right amount of pay or give his fighters health care. Apparently, his fighters don't get health care, which is, like, I don't really know about the fighter pay that much. You know, obviously, I'm kind of new to the UFC, but the fact that he doesn't give his fighters health care, that's not good. I mean, have you seen the sport that he manages? Like, you should give your fighters health care. Like, if they get CTE, or let's say somebody drops dead on at the octagon or on the octagon, I mean, that's not ideal. You know, I mean, I don't know if healthcare can uh, help somebody when they're dying on the spot. I don't know if that's, I don't think so. But I mean, if somebody has CTA or somebody gets a prolonged injury that sets them back for months on end, and if they don't get healthcare and they have to pay out of pocket, then that could mean the end of their UFC career. That could mean the end of their MMA career. And, you know, obviously, you know, people talk about fighter pay and whatnot. And I'll be honest with you, I'm quite new to the UFC, so I'm not that aware of it. I'm not that knowledgeable of it. But, I mean, I hear stories about fighters, you know, who have to work to to eat. I mean, I still see UFC fighters who may not be as big as, say, like the big card members or the main card members, such as Adesanya or Nganu or that of, say, Kamar Usman, but individuals that are in the prelims that are literally working jobs at a restaurant just so they can fight on saturday on the same card as 
Adesanya or that of say uh, of that of say any of those big main card UFC fighters. You know, even Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley, you know, with his podcast and whatnot, he does make a lot of money. I'm not going to lie. So when I see that and when I hear stories about fighters still having to work their nine to five despite fighting on the same card on UFC on a pay-per-view event, it's kind of sad. And when you see individuals literally in their interview with Joe Rogan right after like crying about how they can finally feed their family with the knockout, with their fighting bonus that they'll get for their knockout bonus that they'll get on that day, it's it doesn't come off as inspirational as UFC makes it be. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't come off as inspirational as they think it is. And I don't know. I think it's kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, when I see this, I don't know if it's a prank. I don't know if they're doing some sort of video or some sort of clickbait video. I don't know. That might be the case, but based off this video alone, how does this come out good for Dana White and for the UFC? You know, like it really doesn't come off that well. And when you see UFC fighters saying it's time to unionize, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get why they're in favor of unions at UFC. I, I mean, I get why UFC fighters are in favor of unions. You know, I, I'm in, I, I'm in favor of unions everywhere. Honestly, I, I don't mind unions uh, at multi-billion-dollar corporations. Now, if it's a you know mom and pop shop, uh, having union there uh, is not ideal. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I think for a mom and pop shop, I don't think that's the case. I don't think unions are really that necessary. Uh, but for like a multi-billion-dollar corporation that is that is making record profits each and every year like the ufc is doing i see it i get it why ufc fighters are in favor of unionizing you know i think unions are a good thing i think fighting for better pay and and making sure that you know you're able to live a life that is comfortable and not so reliant on you know on the ufc each and every time you have a fight you know and, and not you know, questioning whether or not you'll be a part of the roster after each and every fight. I think that is a good thing. I think that is something that, that, you know, that should be suggested and not only, not only recommended, but should be implemented by the UFC. You know, I mean, when you think of Cowboy Cerrone, he's had what, 35, 40 fights in the UFC and there's no sort of base level pay for him. You know, there's no sort of, hey, because of the fact that you fought over 30 or 40 times, here's a little bit of money that it will give you. There's no, there's no such thing as that, you know, and there should be because for me, like, I'm I'm quite casual with UFC. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the the biggest fan of UFC, but if it's on television on Saturday night and I have nothing to do, I'm watching it. Like, I I mean, I watched the latest UFC pay-per-view. wasn't ideal. Obviously, the Adesanya Cannoneer fight wasn't ideal because there wasn't a lot of punching or whatnot, but... After hearing the story about Dana White giving 250k to a Nelk boy, despite him not paying fighters, do you really blame Stylebender for fighting safe in fights? Like, I, I don't blame him because if that's what's going to happen, if most UFC fighters are going to get are going to get CTE, if most UFC fighters are not going to see the days where they will be able to successfully defend their title or, or successfully. Uh, get a rematch for their title and they're just falling down the rankings. I mean, because if Israel Adesanya lost that match against, against Jerry Cannonier, he's going all the way down the rankings. Like, he's not going to be fighting him in a rematch. Like, there's there's going to be the next person, you know, in line. There's, he's just another spoke on the wheel. So, from when I see Stylebender fight safe, 
I don't mind it. I'm not going to lie. Like when I saw him fight safe, I'm like, yeah, you, know, you know what? I get it. I understand where he's coming from. I get why. Obviously not that great for a fight fan, but I get why he's doing it. So honestly, when I saw this, I was like, you know what? Yeah, it's not ideal. Not ideal whatsoever. Um, so yeah, Dana White giving 250K to a Nug Boy. Honestly, if this was to an actual podcast that was worth a damn or like actually was talented and actually had nice free-flowing conversations about anything, if not everything, I'll be fine with it. Right? If he get if he gifted this to Nick Mullen, completely fine with it. But the fact that it was to a Nelk boy, it's kind of like, I mean, I get it. You know, Dana White has an obsession with the Nelk boys, but I mean, the Nelk boys are really low class and low tier for content. They really are. They really are. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just bad. Like, I don't get who, what the audience is. Like, I really don't. And plus they're Canadian. Like, like they like rock so much American wear and whatnot. But they're from Canada. Like, why? Like, it's such a weird thing when you see individuals that are not a part of your country represent your country. If they themselves don't have that ethnicity, or if they if they themselves don't have parents that grew up in that country, then why are you rocking another country's clothes? It makes no sense whatsoever. Like, that's like me rocking Costa Rica merchandise, and I've never been to Costa Rica. So, like, why would I be doing that if 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 I don't if I've never been to the country? More importantly, but more importantly, I've never even like grew up there and lived there. Like that's the more important thing. Like it's one thing to like visit a country. It's another entirely th- different thing to live in it and to be part of it and to like grow up in that environment. The Nelk Boys didn't grow up in America, so I don't know why they're rocking American merchandise. It, it's just so weird to me. But anyways, those are my thoughts on Dana White giving two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars to a Nelk Boy on his birthday. Let's end it with the following. So Bill Burr released a special on Netflix titled Live at the Red Rocks. And this is a follow-up to his previous special recorded in 2018, 2019 called Paper Tiger. Uh, And I didn't watch it yet. But it's been making the rounds on Twitter. And there's this one joke that I did watch on Twitter through it. And it's hilarious. And it's the following. Uh, Ladies, if you could just, just... if you just support, um, I, I sorry, <laughs> I'm stuttering. Uh, ladies, if you ju- if you could just support the WNBA the way you support a fat chick that's proud of her body and is no longer a threat to you, that league will be doing better numbers than the NBA. And that's the quote by Bill Burr. Obviously, he he makes it more physical. He makes it more over the top. Makes it more Bostonian, if you will. And it is hilarious. I mean, he's been dropping gems on his Instagram account from the Red Rock special, so go check out his Instagram. Uh, but man, oh man, that joke is hilarious. And also the John Wayne joke, where he's talking about how Twitter's trying to cancel John Wayne. He sort of alluded to it on his SNL monologue, but he sort of dives into it more in detail on special. But man, oh man, those jokes on that special are hilarious. And he's right. I mean, I mean, if you gave me the option between tickets to see the WNBA and like front court front front court side seats to the WNBA if you gave me tickets for court side seats to WNBA or $20 personally for me I'm choosing the $20 like uh, like that's how much like if you gave me a lollipop or like court side seats to a WNBA game I'm getting the lollipop right like if you gave me 
like I hate mayonnaise. I really do hate mayonnaise. But if you gave me a sandwich filled with mayo and only mayo, and if you gave me the option between a, a sandwich full of mayo and that of say courtside seats to a WNBA game, I'm picking the sandwich with a, a hell load amount of mayo in it because that's how little I care about the WNBA. Like personally, for me, like I'm not the biggest basketball fan, but like when I watch the WNBA, it's like, oh my god, this is like horrible. Like this is the the play is bad. Uh, they can dunk. Uh, they're they're playing with a 28.5 regulation ball. Um, it's just not good, man. It's just not a good product. Um, so when I see Bill Burr making joke about it, but doing it so in a way that is, because it's one thing to joke about the WNBA, but I feel like to do it in such a tactical way where you can't really be mad at him because he is blaming women for not watching WNBA. That just shows how how masterful he is at this craft. I mean, him literally blaming women for not watching WNBA is the best way to do this bit because obviously it would still be funny to do it and, and be like, the, the WNBA sucks because that, that in and of itself is a hilarious bit. But... For, the, for him to do it in a way by blaming women, and I know I'm sort of breaking down the X's and O's of comedy, and that's dumb. I get it. I know it's so corny and cringe for, for me or for anybody to break down stand comedy the way I'm doing it. But the fact that he's able to do it, it really goes to show you that, you know, he is masterful at this craft A and knows that Twitter can't really get mad at him because he knows that women themselves don't really practice what they preach. And that is... In, in regards to this situation. So when he, when I saw Twitter, you know, really liked Bill Burr's special, and I'm sure there are a few tweets here and there that are like, oh, Bill Burr's sexist and misogynist. But overall, Twitter is generally supportive of his special, which is crazy to see. And I, for one, see like a turn in the tide. You know, I really do. I feel like, and I know this is quite cringe to bring up, but I feel like that Will Smith slap really really changed things. I felt like people really saw comedy in a different light after that. And I feel like people really view comedy for what it is, which is to not be taken so seriously. Like don't take comedy so seriously, like at all. Like that's why I hate it when people call stand-up comedy an art form. Personally for me, I don't like that idea that stand-up comedy is an art form because to me, stand-up comedy is a form of entertainment. You know, when I think of art form, I think of Scorsese. You know, I think of Setujit Ray. I think of Wong Kar Wai. You know, I think of Werner Herzog. That's what I think of when I think of art. You know, when I think of art, I think of, you know, Bulgakov. You know, I think of Tolstoy. You know, that's what I think of when I think of art. I don't think of some comedian talking about how dating is hard or how he's been going to therapy. You know, that's not, that's not to me, that's not any art form that has that as a main trope, to me, isn't an art form. Uh, so for me, I like to call it a form of entertainment. I don't really like to call it. I don't like to call stand-up comedy an art form because to me, that would be a, a disrespect to actual artists out there that are constantly reinventing the wheel with everything they put out. You know. But anyways, that's sort of my spiel on the whole stand-up comedy is an art form thing. I don't really think it's an art form. But back into the Bill Burr thing, I I haven't watched the special yet. I'm planning to watch it. Uh, I'm intending to watch it. I can't wait to watch it. But this WNBA joke is really good. I really love this WNBA joke. I mean, Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians to ever do it. You know, and in fact, he actually got me into watching stand-up. 
you know, when I first heard about stand-up comedy and when I first heard about it and watched it, I only watched it through Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, his observations on airplane food and popcorn. And no, dis- no disrespect to Seinfeld, but for me, like, I wasn't really feeling it. Feeling it. I wasn't really resonating with it. And obviously, I had my Frank Caliendo phase. I still like Frank Caliendo, and I thought that was very funny. But when I watched Bill Burr, that's when I saw stand-up comedy as something else. I'm like, oh, you could really be sort of introspective with this. You could really be giving your thoughts on what's happening currently and do so in a way that is valuing funny above all. And after watching Bill Burr's You People Are All the Same back in 10th grade, 11th grade, 15 years old, 16 years old, when I first watched that, you know, I was like, man, this this is something different. And this is what stand-up comedy this is what stand-up comedy should be, which is just people being honest, but also being funny about it. And he really gave me a lot of inspiration. Like, I don't think I would I would be doing stand-up comedy if it wasn't for Bill Burr. Um, so for that reason, I, I truly, truly, uh, really respect Bill Burr. Uh, also because we're both Bostonians, and uh, I can really resonate with his passion and with his just his overall, you know, feelings on the world, you know, so... I can't wait to watch Live at the Red Rocks. I'm sure it's going to be a great special in its entirety. Uh, I watched, obviously, I gave, my, I gave my remarks on Bill Burr's, you know, feature show that he had with Bill Burr and Friends. I gave my thoughts on that. Wasn't a big fan of it. Thought Netflix did himself a disservice by posting that out and putting it out. But um, I can't wait to watch the special. I'm sure it's going to be good. Uh, it's very light. You know, it's very, like, vibrant. Like the color is just popping out of the screen when you watch it, which, I, I mean, which, obviously some people will like it, but for me, like I don't know, like I don't know when I when I think of you know comedians that are like having a little bit of a dark subject matter and dark material, you know I kind of like it to be grim, you know, like I like to, I like it in the same way as I like the new Batman movie, like I I like it to be grim, I like it to be mysterious, that's what I kind of like my specials to be if it's featuring a comedian that has material that is you know outside of the norm or outside of what is to be expected uh but still i like i I can't wait to watch this special i really can and if this WNBA joke is any anything that we'll see or is anything similar to what we'll see later in that special then it's going to be one of the better specials of this year easily this this year has been a pretty bad year for stand-up comedy I'm not going to lie. Uh, obviously, the Gringo Poppy thing and Jeff Foxworthy special, um, Jim Brewer special. It's been a pretty crap year for stand-up, but with Andrew Schultz's new special with Bill Burr, um, it's it's going to be quite interesting. I can't wait to watch him. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, obviously, Gringo Poppy is one of the best specials of all time. You know, I, I feel like we can say that. I, I don't know why I put that with Jeff Foxworthy and... Uh, and uh, Jim Brewer, but Gringo Poppy, one of the greatest specials of all time. One of the greatest specials of all time. Anyways, uh, back to the Kitchen Changs. Anyways, that's it for me on uh, for today's podcast. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on both my podcast channel and my podcast clip channel. Uh, make sure you uh, follow... Uh, uh, Subscribe to me on my, both my podcast channel, my podcast clip channel. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at AJ Tucker, A J A Y T H A K K A R underscore the end. If you're able to give a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be great. I don't know if Spotify has a feature, but if Spotify has a feature, then definitely rate and review. And uh, give me any comments, 
questions or concerns in regards to any of these topics, whether it's Bill Burr, Bill Burr's WNBA joke, whether it's Dana White gifting 250K to an elk boy, whether it is Jordan Peterson going on and on and on about trans people and the tennis topics for today. Any questions, comments, or concerns, leave them down below. I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. And last but not least, make sure you spread the word on WhatsApp and through your text trains. I feel like spreading it through word of mouth is very, very important to garner and create a sense of community here is very, very important. And that's something that I really strive for. You know, for people to be honest about their own opinions and whatnot and to have an honest conversation about everything and more importantly to be funny while doing it. Most importantly while being funny while doing it. I think that's very, very important. So guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Make sure you uh, spend your time with your family, your friends over the weekend. Uh, avoid the bookings. And I'll see you guys on Tuesday. We'll talk more about tennis, things about happening in tennis and things that are happening with our political and societal realm as well. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.